Well, if you would, please take your Bibles with me and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, as we've been going through verse by verse, we come now to the section dealing with parents. So children, the spotlight is no longer on you, it is now on your parents, you will be glad to know. Begin reading it in verse 1 down to verse 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. For those who've been with us, you've perhaps seen a pattern as we've been going through this section on relationships, that first Paul instructs those under authority, and then he turns to instruct those who've been given the privilege of authority for the sake of those under them. And so, following this pattern, we looked at children last week, and now we turn to consider what is it that God expects of parents. Now, by way of introduction, let me point out what maybe is obvious to you, Perhaps you've already noticed, and that is just how little there is here. This does not seem fair because parents are extremely desperate people. No matter what stage of parenting they are in, we need instruction. Why not like two chapters here? Or, you know, actually, let's just take out the book of Psalms and put a book of parenting. That would be nice. But just two sentences, two short lines. I remember being in the hospital with our first daughter and thinking as we left the hospital that somehow, without any prior experience, we were going to have to keep this little girl alive. And I would wake, out, wake up at all hours of the night and go over there and, okay, still breathing, still breathing, we're good. I remember in the hospital, they taught us, here's how you swaddle, and, and I called the nurse in like three times to, to show me how to swaddle, and I had it down. I mean, if I was going to do anything as a parent, I was going to have the swaddling down, and then I got home and I realized our blanket is very different than theirs, and I had no idea how to do it, but she survived, she's still with us, and by God's grace, we have three more, two dogs and a cat, so we're making it Okay. All that to say, though, parents are desperate people, and of course, the feelings of desperation don't go away after you make it through year one or year two. They just continue at every stage of parenting because every stage brings new challenges, a whole host of new questions. How do I help them navigate friends and friendships and disappointments and all of this, and how do I help them to love those even who may not be like them? How do I teach them to be a good friend? How do I teach them the value of hard work, even in a subject that they may hate? How do I instill in them a love for the church and to teach them to honor their parents and to work hard at their jobs? How do I navigate the challenges of technology, movies, music, different convictions within families? How do I pay for it all? Or in my case, how do I pay for four weddings? You find them husbands who are willing to pay for the wedding. 
I will cover the cost of officiating. (laughs) Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I might say, if you love her, you'll pay for the wedding. (laughs) 20 years out, don't have to worry about that now. All that to say, parents, we do face a ever-changing host of challenges. Changing because the day and the time is constantly changing, and also changing because they are constantly changing, and with each new stage, there are new challenges. Each of our children are unique. Just when you think you got one figured out, Harper comes out, and she's completely different than Brindle and Maylee and Adley and all these things, completely different, unique gifts from the Lord. We need a lot of help. Now, the Holy Spirit obviously knows this. God created them and gave them to us. He realizes this and knows this. And so you might have thought that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would have given us a little more, and yet, in the infinite wisdom of the Holy Spirit, just two lines. Just two lines. But here's what we can say about these. They are sufficient to help you parent in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to what God has commanded. They are sufficient to equip you. And in these two lines, just 16 words in Greek, we have all the implications and applications we need to fulfill the role. So God has not given us less than we need or more than we need. He's given us exactly what we need. It is sufficient. And also, he has put these two commands in a really perfect context. Uh, Parents, we would do well to remember that all parenting must be done under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Husbands, be filled. Wives, be filled. Children, be filled. Parents, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Taking the questions and the cues from Galatians 5, we could say this and ask ourselves these questions. Is my parenting loving, characterized by love for my child, biblical love, agape love? Is my parenting joyful? Is there a joyfulness within the home because of the way I parent? Is my parenting aimed at peace, biblical peace and reconciliation? Am I a patient parent? Does my child know me as a parent who is patient with them, with their wrongdoings as they learned? Am I kind? Is my parenting good? Which is to say it would be moral in nature because it's interested in the welfare of the child, not only concerned about themselves, but concerned about others. Is it good? Is it faithful? Does my child know that they cannot outsend my love. I'm always here, faithfully parenting you the way that God has called me to at each new stage. Is it gentle? Is it self-controlled? Now, if we were to just start there, this would really, in a sense, almost be enough. <laughs> if we would just ask these questions of ourselves as we continue to grow in our parenting, this would do a lot of good. Galatians 5.25, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
do your parents look at your parenting, or your parents, do your children look at your parenting and know dad and mom, they are spirit-filled. I can see it in the way they parent. Or do they look at you and say, dad and mom, they are full of the flesh because of the way they parent. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins this section with an absolutely crucial command, be filled with the Spirit. Another thing within this context that is important to keep in mind, and that is all parenting must be servant-minded. Servant-minded. You remember the summary statement that Paul gave us before launching into this section. He wrote, all of you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the driving principle of our relationships, no matter what relationship you're in, is this. We are to submit to Christ by submitting to one another, by taking the form of a servant, serving them just as Christ has served you. This applies to all relationships, not just husbands with wives, wives with their husband, not just children with parents, but also, even more so, you might argue, parents with their children. We ought to have a heart of service for them. This means you don't look at your children as little servants given to you to serve your every need. No, no, no. They are given to you, but you are called to lower yourself just like your Savior, to stoop down to their level and serve them. This does not mean you give them everything that they want, but it does mean that you die to self for the sake of their good and bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They should see you sacrificing their life for you. Stooping down to their level, giving away your time, energy, money, desires for their sake. They should know, dad and mom, they are committed to my sanctification and my salvation. And they don't just say it, they prove it. They know that you're in their corner, a true friend who will love them at all times. Submit to one another, serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Spirit-filled parenting, submission-based parenting, and another thing we could say here, all parenting must be informed by the Word of God. Word-centered parenting. If we were to turn over to Colossians, the parallel passage, we would find a similar instruction to the parents. Fathers, do not provoke your child lest they become discouraged. But right before that, just a few verses, we have this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And we know in the other passage that we are in here, Ephesians 6, 4, that part of our parenting is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How does this take place? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Then teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And included in that one another is certainly your children. This is an extremely simple application. Parents, you will never be able to faithfully bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord if the Lord of the Word is not first dwelling in you richly. Let them see it and know it, that mom and dad know and love the Word. 
that their parenting, your parenting, is informed in that way. The best salesmen are not just those who know facts about the product. The best salesmen are those who have tried the product and believe in the product and use the product, and thus they are persuasive because they desire, for the one they are selling it to, they desire their best, and so they are giving it to them because it's worked for them. Parent in this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then one more thing by way of introduction, and it is this, extremely important. You need to keep in your mind that your children, no matter what stage of life it is, no matter what the challenge of the stage is, are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift, an undeserved gift. Psalm 127.3, Behold, that is, pay attention to this, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. They're a gift. Sometimes we can forget this, but you are to give thanks to God daily for this undeserved gift. This is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You remember Ephesians 5.20, thanksgiving, constantly giving thanks to the Lord. And certainly one of the things we must give thanks for that will help us to have the correct perspective is for our children. So that all to lay a foundation. Spirit-filled parenting, servant-minded parenting, word-centered parenting, and the overarching idea that our children are a gift from the Lord. Now to build on them by looking at these two very simple and profound commands, a negative command and a positive command. And I'll let you know that we're only going to get to the negative today. So we just have one point, but 15 subpoints. And actually, by way of introduction, I've already given you four points, so 20-something points today. Here it is. Do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. This, of course, you will see right where I got this because I copied it straight from it. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Pretty creative. Colossians 3.21, same thing. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged, or the LSB says, so that they will not lose heart. Now, one thing that immediately jumps out to me is that it's interesting that Paul does not mention both parents here. He's already showed us that he can do that. Children, obey your parents. That's the word for both parents. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. And so you might have thought that he would say, parents, do not provoke your children. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children. But he just addresses the fathers. There's a good reason for that. Of course, fathers and mothers are in view here. The father is the head, and underneath the head, the mother also parents. And in fact, the mother probably has a greater role at times in that parenting, and yet he addresses the fathers because the father is ultimately responsible. This is a weight that the father is meant to carry. This means as we look at the negative, if there is any provoking going on in the household, whether that be by the father himself or by the wife, the father 
is responsible. He is responsible to shepherd his wife, to help his wife. First, shepherd himself, sure, but also shepherd his wife. In other words, the excuse, it was the woman that you gave me, she did it, will not stick. I didn't do it. Yes, you did. Because you're failing to shepherd your wife. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. A father who allows his wife to exasperate the children is first a husband who has neglected his duty of shepherding his wife. If a basketball team has a losing record for multiple seasons, you don't go fire the assistant coach. You fire the coach because the coach is ultimately responsible. The assistant coach may have played a part, but he is not the one who is ultimately responsible. Same principle at play in Paul's list of qualification for elders, 1 Timothy 3, 4. Paul writes, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, or literally, if someone does not know how to be at the head, exercising his position of leadership, How will he care for the church? Now, I believe here what we're talking about is little children. And I think within this, we have the idea of provoking. He says, manage your own household well. Then he follows that up with, with all dignity. In a Christ-like way. In a way that would bring dignity upon you and the family. Not provoking exercising your position of leadership. Now, in such a case, the children are sinning. It's clear. If your child is running around the church hitting people over the head, that is their sin. And yet, there is a responsibility to bear that goes back ultimately on the father. Here is a father not dealing with the children. And in such a case, although the children may be sinning, The children don't disqualify the man. The man disqualifies himself. Because this is our weight to bear. He might think, this is not in my nature to discipline. I wasn't raised this way. I didn't have this example. I've given that responsibility over to my wife so that I can take care of my career, handle things that are more important. But given the principle, such excuses will never do. We must own it and devote ourselves to it, both to the negative and to the positive. Negatively, don't allow provoking to go on. Positively, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, we own it. That's the principle. Now, one thing I need to pause and say here is that I realize that there may be some faithful mothers out here who don't have a husband who is helping them. Maybe the husband is not around at all, or perhaps the husband is there, but he's an unbeliever, he's checked out, whatever it may be, and so you are parenting on your own. And what I need to say is what you already know, and that is God is with you, and He is sufficient to help you, His Word is sufficient, and He has also given you the church to come alongside of you and to help you through this. So don't lose heart. 
He knows the situation. And it may be your faithful parenting that not only brings your child to salvation, but also brings your husband to salvation. Stay the course. Utilize the resource the Lord has given you. Pray for your children. Pray for your husband. The Lord will be faithful. So that by way of another introduction. (laughs) Now we need to dive into the command. What does this mean, provoke, exasperate? It's pretty simple, straightforward. Provoke means to make angry. It is to create an irritation that eventually leads to embitterment, discouragement. It angers them. There's probably an endless amount of applications we could have for this. The applications are as varied as there are people. But I want to give you 15 just to get you started. Common ones, you might say. First is this. Our children can be exasperated, and especially the older ones, by overprotection. Overprotection. Parents, we must keep it in our minds that our children, though given to us, are created to leave. God knows this. He designed it this way. This is a good thing. And all the children said, Amen. And the parents ought to say, Amen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and that not only has implications for the new husband and wife, but also for the father and mother. Let them go. And prepare them to go. This means we're going to have to give them a little more freedom as they grow so that they can handle that independence. When you bring them home from the hospital, that baby is completely dependent upon you. But there is coming a day when they will be independent and must be independent, which means in the meantime, you're going to have to prepare them, purposely prepare them to be independent. There's all kinds of practical implications for that. They got to learn how to drive. They got to learn how to respect adults. They got to learn how to work hard. They got to learn how to study the Bible for themselves. They got to learn how to fear the Lord because you're not going to be over them. You parent them to leave. This doesn't mean that we don't ever warn them or ever protect them from danger, but they need to experience some risk. It's necessary for them to mature into a young man or woman the way that God has designed them. If you keep your children in a pack and play for the rest of their lives, they are eventually going to become very angry because they'll look outside of that pack and play and what they'll see is their friends experiencing all kinds of things that they should be experiencing but can't. Even the animals know this. The mother bird knows and will eventually push that young little one out of the nest. And if it doesn't want to go out of the nest, guess what? Too bad. You're flying. And that mother bird certainly knows the risks because it experiences the risk. There are risks, but this is how God has designed it. And God will be with them. Even when you're not, 
Deprive your kids of freedom and more responsibility as they grow, and they will either bolt out the door the first chance they get, or perhaps even worse, they'll stay inside of yours for the rest of their lives. They won't ever leave because they're not prepared. You haven't helped them. You are called to point them to God, not be God. There's all kinds of ways that we could seek to be God. God is the ultimate protector. Yes, you protect, but you do not protect them from everything. And if you try to protect them from every possible danger, every possible temptation, they're not going to read that as love. They might see it as hate. They might view it as unfair, mistreatment, even if it was done in love. As parents, we must teach our kids to think biblically, and to think biblically apart from us, to make decisions apart from us, which parents is going to mean that they're going to make some bad decisions, and you and your infinite wisdom are going to know it and see it. But this is good and right, and possibly that bad decision might teach them more because God has designed consequences in with bad decision than you ever could by overprotecting them. Think of how many lessons you have learned because you've made bad decisions. But if you've parented in the right way, as your kids make a bad decision, what ought to come to their mind is not necessarily your words, but the Word of God that shows them, oh, (laughs) this is what they were saying. And then when they come back, don't rub it in their face. Encourage them. Take joy as they grow. Don't overprotect them. This means your role is going to change as they grow. When When they're little, you command them. Don't touch the stove. Stop hitting your sister over the head. Whatever it may be, don't smear food on the wall. But as they grow older, you become their counselor. Your role change. And if it doesn't change, if you continue to command, you will exasperate them. Because they need to learn and grow They need to understand what it means to think biblically on their own. So don't overprotect them. This will make them angry. Second, and I need to move much more quickly because I have 15. You can provoke your kids to anger through favoritism, partiality. Now, many biblical examples, I'll give you a few. Genesis 25, 27, when Esau and Jacob grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Isaac, he loved Esau because Esau was his kind of guy, a man's man. He got him. Not so much Jacob, but Rebekah loved Jacob because she could relate to Jacob. And you might think, hey, they're both getting love. But we all know how the story progresses. It creates hate for one another. Now the two sons can't get along. And it continues that way for many years. 
Another example, same kind of thing happens. Joseph and his brothers, Genesis 37.3, now Israel, you remember Israel is Jacob, Jacob becomes Israel, so apparently Jacob did not learn the lesson, the mistake was passed on. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons. It's not that he didn't love all of his sons, but he loved Joseph way more because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw, they could see this, that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him, could not speak peacefully to him. Favoritism creates hostility in the home because the children vie for the parents' attention. It will exasperate them. Regardless of age, even, it's, the implication here is that Joseph was very young and his brothers were much older and mature, and you might have thought, well, they can figure this out, but it still created hatred. Romans 2.11 teaches us that our Heavenly Father shows no partiality and neither should we to our children. We are to love them each equally because they are each a unique gift from the Lord, and they ought to know that. Third... Parents, we can exasperate our children by never admitting that we're wrong. If you want to exasperate them, if you want to make them angry, never let them know that you're wrong. The reason this will exasperate them is because they know you're wrong. They see it. If anyone has a front row seat to your wrongs, it's your children. The movie is playing out at all times right in front of them. There's no hiding from this, Dad. And by the way, the Bible says to confess your sins to one another, and I would place within that one another your children. They need to know, not that Dad is always trying to save face by never admitting that he's wrong, but that Dad saves face by humbling himself and admitting when he's wrong. You go to them. If you sin against them, you say, forgive me. This is what I did against you. I can see that now. I don't want to do that. I love you. This is what I'm going to seek to do. That will teach them more, infinitely more, than you not admitting. Because your children need to grow to be humble enough to admit their wrongs. If they can't, that sin's going to grow, and it will grow into anger, possibly at you. Fourth, parents can exasperate their children by always assuming the worst of them, never taking or believing their side or never even giving a hearing to their side of the story. Something happens, and one kid starts crying. He runs downstairs, and automatically you assume, I know who it is. It's always this one. And if that happens over and over and over again, it's going to exasperate them. 1 Corinthians 13, love believes the best. Now, that does not mean that you give your kids an iPhone and tell them to go upstairs and say, okay, I believe the best about you, do whatever you want. But certainly it means that you listen to them and your heart is one of the disposition of assuming the best because you love them. 
And by the way, if you teach them that lesson, it's probably going to come back to bite you because what they're going to do is assume the worst of you. They're going to be provoked to anger. Dad never trusts me. He never listens to me. We can't do that to our kids. Fifth, we can provoke our children when we tell our kids to do something that we ourselves are not willing to do or are not doing or possibly doing the opposite which is called hypocrisy. And when kids see hypocrisy, this, maybe more than anything else, leads to kids leaving the church. Because what they will see is this relationship that you claim to have obviously did not do any good for you, therefore I don't want to be a part of it. I'm out of here. Too many Christian homes have have their unspoken motto, do as I say, not as I do. We will never be perfect. But as we call our kids to the perfect standard, they ought to see us humbly running after that standard with all of our hearts. Don't teach them to be hypocrites. Six, we may provoke our kids to anger when we don't keep our word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And your kids are going to ask you for all kinds of things. And parents, we have to be really careful because sometimes our heart's desire can be to say yes. Remember what it says in Psalm 15, who dwells in the tent of the Lord? It is the one who swears to his own hurt. Sometimes you may promise your kids something and it's going to hurt. It's going to require more time than you thought, a later night than you thought, but teach them the value of keeping their word by you keeping your word, which would include a positive element and a negative. That means if they do something wrong and you say you're going to discipline them, discipline them. Show them that you are a man or a woman of your word. Seventh, you can provoke your kids to anger when there is a lack of marital harmony in the home. When mom and dad are constantly fighting and at each other's throats, and when there's no reconciliation, this can cause bitterness. Hebrews 12:15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That verse written to the church, but also would apply within the home. And one of the ways that we may encourage a root of bitterness to spring up is our parents or our children see the parents constantly never reconciling. And what they learn is, okay, when someone wrongs me, the correct response is to get angry and to remain angry. And what you have created is a child who is constantly angry and bitter. But if they see two parents who, when they get angry with one another, go and ask for forgiveness and repent and reconcile, what they will learn? Oh, anger may happen, but it must not be allowed to live in my heart. You remember what it said in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry, it will happen, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. 
We must make sure that our home is one of reconciliation and forgiveness. Eighth, as parents, we can exasperate by constantly lashing out at them in sinful anger. Perhaps the anger they are seeing is not towards mom and dad, it's towards them. Always responding in anger. Remember one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. We ought to be controlled. Our anger has to be controlled. If you're disciplining them constantly in anger, what you're doing is not teaching them what is right. You're showing them what is wrong. That's not discipline. Discipline is training in righteousness. Train them by showing them. We're self-controlled. We're not angry in our discipline. We're loving. Proverbs 22:24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Nor go with the wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Don't associate, don't be a friend with this kind of person. Your children don't have an option. They're in your home, and you may be creating a very angry little person. Ninth, we can exasperate our children by belittling them. Our words certainly are a part of exasperating them. When we're overly critical sarcastic. We're using biting words designed to hurt them. If that's all they hear coming out of our mouths, we're just trying to make our point, and we're going to use whatever words we can to do it, you may be creating a child who is angry. Ephesians 4.29 certainly applies to our parenting. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Am I giving grace from my words to my children? Are my words building them up or are they tearing them down? And if they're tearing them down, you need to repent, ask for forgiveness, and seek to build them up. Be kind, Paul writes, tenderhearted, just as God has been with you. Tenth, we can exasperate our children by being legalistic. If you've got all kinds of rules and standards that are not found in the pages of Scripture, this may exasperate them. If in your home you're only concerned about outward conformity to some kind of moral standard, this may exasperate them. Why? Because they'll begin to think, they don't care at all about my heart. Yeah, okay, I can do that, but inside I'm screaming, bitter and angry. It ought to be the opposite. Regardless of whether they're adhering to your standard and making your life easier or not, you're concerned about their heart. In fact, sometimes as parents, we need to be more concerned about that child who seems to be right in line. What's going on with their heart? Is their heart given over to the Lord? Our rules need to be rooted in the Bible, which doesn't mean you've got to find a chapter and verse for every rule and that your children can come to you and see, see, Dad, all my friends have Snapchat. I can have Snapchat. I can't find it in the Bible, but it had better be rooted in the Bible. You better have a good reason for helping them to see it, explain it to them, and make sure they know that the keeping of that rule is not what produces salvation. Ultimately, it's the heart that you're after. Eleventh, and very quickly, we can exasperate our children by giving them too much freedom. We've already talked about the opposite, but if you're always telling them yes, never disciplining them, if you're giving them all kinds of freedom to do whatever they want, they're not going to interpret that as love. They might at first, but eventually what they're going to think is, 
they don't care at all. And they're going to look and they're going to see other friends whose parents obviously care. And they're going to say, my parents don't love me in the least bit. And they'll find love in all the wrong kind of places. Yes, give them freedom as they grow. But protect them along the way. Give them righteous rules. And make sure they know that you are invested in them and care about them. Twelfth, we can exasperate our children by never telling them yes. There's all kinds of situations that things can apply. Yes, no, yes, no. But if your children know that every time I come to dad to ask him for something, it's constantly no. If all they hear is no, no, sorry, no, nope, can't do that. I had a mentor that told me, listen, I want my heart's attitude towards my children to be yes. You know why? It's very simple. I love them. I love them. I want to tell my wife yes because I love them, and I want to tell my children yes because I love them, which doesn't mean that you tell them yes to everything, but if they ask something and it's reasonable, say yes, yes, we can go to the park. Yes, I can spend some time with you. Love them by saying yes. Thirteen, we can exasperate our children by constantly finding fault with everything they do. And by the way, you can do that because they're learning and growing and they will make a lot of mistakes. If you're constantly harping on every little thing they do and not allowing them some room to learn from their mistakes, you're going to discourage them, encourage them, praise them, even if that drawing's not perfect great job. Keep it up. Fourteen, we can exasperate our children by disciplining them and embarrassing them in front of others. It's a shaming kind of thing. And you may think, hey, I'm making a point, but the point you may be making is that dad doesn't love me. He doesn't respect me. The scriptures call us to honor everyone, including our children. You can show your children honor by not disciplining them and embarrassing them in front of their friends. And last, 15, we can exasperate our children by just simply discouraging them. This comes from Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers, this especially applies to us because the Lord has made us physically stronger. He's given us more commanding voices and a more commanding presence. And this means your children, as they mess up or disobey, are in a position where they could extremely be discouraged, broken. And you may not even realize it if you're not in tune. And maybe you do it, go back to them and do it right. Take a model as our Savior, Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed he will not break. You know who's stronger than you? Christ. And yet he doesn't break you. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. Because his goal is not to quench. It is to light the fire, to encourage it to grow it. 
Do not discourage them. Don't allow them to lose heart. So 15, more that you can think on. And I have one homework assignment that I think will help you, a very humbling one. For those of you who are parents, the assignment is this. Go home, sit your children down, and ask them, how do I provoke you? And genuinely mean it. In what ways does my parenting at times make you angry? And then, zip it. Don't defend. Don't say anything back except for, I appreciate you being honest. That helps me to know your heart. I'm going to think on that. I do want to grow in my parenting and seek to do things right before the Lord. And if you've done something that is wrong, go back to them and say, forgive me. And do something right. That's a hard homework assignment, but I think it would be a very beneficial one. And last thing, let me say this. I realize that some kids in here might be angry because of something your parents have either done or not done. And for you, it's going to be a particular temptation to think that you have an excuse. You can be angry. But let me remind you that right before this verse, Paul commands you to honor your parents, regardless of what they're doing. And also, a promise given with this. It will go well with you. Your temptation may be, mom and dad who are Christians, they are constantly on me, not doing things right, hypocrites, whatever it may be. And you're growing angry, and the temptation may be, okay, it's not working for them. I'm just going to throw out Christianity. I don't need the Lord. I'll go do it my way. And what you've just done is thrown out the only solution. The fix for you and your parents is always the Bible. This is the standard. And it's sufficient to help you to honor your parents regardless of what they are doing. And parents, if you're in here and you've completely bombed it and failed it, you may be tempted just to be so guilt-ridden that you do nothing, but today is a new day. It's the only day you got. So today, start parenting in a way that honors the Lord. We have a perfect opportunity to take this before the Lord We have our time where we are going to come before his table. So in just a minute, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass out the elements. And you're going to have a little bit of time to think and pray and meditate on what you've just heard and certainly to meditate on Christ and his death and the resurrection and the payment that was paid on your behalf. You'll hang on to the elements and we'll partake of them all together. In the middle of the trays, I would remind you, for those who need gluten-free, those are marked by a different color, so those are there for you. Let me pray for us as the men come forward. Father, we come before you, and we ask that you would forgive us. Parents are certainly not perfect people, and it is a sanctifying process to seek to be like you. For you, our Heavenly Father, has loved us and cared for us and disciplined us in a perfect way. Forgive us and teach us. And Father, I pray that you would help the children in here to continue to honor their parents 
whether their parents are seeking to do their very best or not doing anything at all. And may we all recognize that you are sufficient and that every single person in the relationship needs to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly. Father, as we turn now to your table and we consider the life, the death, and resurrection of your Son, again, help us not to do this as a matter of routine, but break the routine by allowing us to truly understand what it is that was paid on our behalf so that we might have the Holy Spirit in us, becoming ever more sanctified and like Christ and one day spending eternity with Him. We commit this time to you and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.
if you would, take with me the bread. Breaking of bread reminds us that Jesus gave his body that we might live. He really came and really dwelt on the earth in a human body. And on that day, he was spit at, he was beaten, he was scourged, nailed to a cross, and he hung there all the way until he breathed his last so that one day you and I, whose bodies will die, will be resurrected with him. He's commanded that we eat of this now in remembrance of that act. Let's eat together. Take the cup now with me. As you know, the cup symbolizes that he gave his blood. It was the blood of a perfect lamb. The only blood that could be shed on our behalf. It was a perfect payment on our behalf. And the cup reminds us that we derive our very life from the death of our Lord. As he is commanded, let's drink together now. At the close of the Lord's Supper, Jesus promised his disciples. He said that they would not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. There's an ultimate fulfillment to what we have just done that ought to fill us with hope. We are looking forward to a time when one day we will eat and drink the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Savior as a result of what we have just remembered here today. I would encourage you to keep that in your minds as you leave. Let's pray and we will sing one last song. Father, we thank you for the time that you have given us today. It has all been undeserved, a gift of your grace and a mercy. Father, as we remember the death of your son, that he not only experienced physical pain, but also took on wrath, deserved for us, that we might not die an eternal death and suffer in hell as we deserve, but we would get exactly what we don't deserve as spiritual life, real life in a new heavens and new earth with your Son forever, inheritors of your promise, co-heirs with Christ. These truths are too amazing for us to fully understand, and yet this is what you have promised. So, Father, fill us with these things and help us to go from here in a way that would most honor and glorify you. We pray in your Son's name. Amen. Galatians 2.20, Paul speaks.